So turn with me to Mark chapter 10 as we continue working through the book of Mark. Mark chapter 10, we're going to start at verse 17 and go through verse 31 today. This story of what the text calls the rich young ruler and kind of the fallout from that. Before we go to the text, let's go to the Lord again in prayer and ask for his help with it. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to your word, we pray that you would be here with us as we walk through it. We are prone to read these words and kind of make our own meanings up for things. We want life to be easy. We want life to be about us and not about you. We want life to make us look better. We want the words of this text to make us look better than we are. So Lord, show us the truth. It doesn't matter what we want. It matters what is true. What you have said in your word is true and right. And we ought to learn from it. We ought to see how it teaches us more about you and what you require of us. And so, Lord, help us with that this morning as we come to your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this week I was talking with one of my uh, colleagues at the school, and we were talking about how she did this recent assignment and talking about her expectations of this and just talking about student expectations in general. And this particular teacher has loads of experience and is considered one of the best in the business and and her craft, the way she does things. She's a very high standard for her students. She's very good at bringing them up to that standard as well, which which is important. That's what teaching is. She told me about a recent essay in which the students... She had the students write this essay and she gave them lots of time to get it right, you know, to, to bring them up to the standard. She offered lots of help and direct changes that should be made to their essays. And one of the students even volunteered their own paper so the teacher could use that paper as a model in how to correct and work through the steps of making it, making it good. Showed the class the corrections that need to be made and on that exact paper and, and how they can translate those changes to their own work. And so understand this, understand this particular student was shown how to make their paper better. Exactly, word for word, how to make their paper better in front of the whole class. Specific instructions from a master teacher. And it came time to turn in the essay and the student turned their paper in without any of those corrections. And they had the audacity to go up to the teacher and wonder why they did poorly. Why didn't I do well in this? Before you add, before you criticize and think, well, that's goofy, just think about yourself for a moment. We all tend to think that we're better than we are. We all tend to think, well, that's, you know, what I did is fine too. And so I'm going to just turn it in the way that I like it, even though this person who knows so much more than me said the opposite. We do this in our own self-assessments. More than that, when it comes to how we assess others, we definitely see ourselves better than them. We become the standard, and they always fall short. 
in our text today, we're going to see this kind of thing play out. As Jesus comes face to face with someone that the gospel writers call the rich young ruler. Which is a fun way to describe somebody. He's not given a name. He's rich, he's young, and he rules. Pretty incredible. It's a popular story from the Gospels. has some of Jesus' most quoted sayings in it, actually. It stands in stark contrast to what we had in here last week. And we're going to look at that in a moment as well, that contrast. As we get into this text, I think we're going to see our own hearts in regard to the commandments of God and the impossibility of man and woman to save themselves. Thanks be to God that Jesus shows us the way here. He shows us himself. And so as we get into this text, we're going to look at those three ideas. First, Jesus shows us who God is. Then he shows us our own hearts. And then he shows us finally the way. And so with that, let's look together at the text. Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 17. Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 17. And he was setting out on his journey, or and as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But but Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left his house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands and with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So real quick, before we get into this, this is a text that basically preaches itself. I feel like I could just close in prayer and be done. But before we do that, a little context here. Remember, last week, we looked at this idea of Jesus dealing with having children, right? And he was, he was uh, holding these children back there in 13 through 16. And he said, when he was holding one of these small children, he said, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a small child shall not enter it. 
And remember, we said it has nothing to do with some sort of dreamed up childlike faith that we might invent or require of others. It has to do with the fact that children bring nothing to the relationship when they are born other than themselves. And the kingdom of God must be received as a gift in the same way. No strings attached, no requirements. An infant can't work for anything. And in fact, the first years of their lives, they only take. And this is just like us when it comes to the kingdom of God. So understand that. Understand that Jesus' gift to us is the kingdom. We can bring nothing to the table that earns us that gift. Jesus, fresh from that teaching, the disciples, fresh from hearing it, and they have this encounter with the rich young ruler who opens his mouth, and the first thing that he says is, what must I do? Just as an aside, our battle in this life is a constant battle between following the law of God, because we think we should as his children, and following the law of God because we think it improves our standing before him. We are in this constant battle, brothers and sisters, and it just doesn't cease until we are with him, unfortunately. As we study Jesus' interaction with this man today, we're going to see again our tendency to see ourselves better than we are. We think we are handing in a 100% paper every time, even though we've been told it's not. We've shown, been shown our errors over and over. As we come to the text, when do we see our errors? Yes, every time we do. But we think we're, what about this one? Isn't this better? Not only does Jesus show us our error, but he shows us the way to freedom. And that's what we desire in Christ. So that brings us to the first point. Jesus shows us God. Verses 17 and 18. Look with me then again. And as he was setting out upon his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God. So again, consider, Jesus went from holding the baby that can't do anything and says you have to receive the kingdom like this. And now watch this man running up to him, desperate to find out what he can do to inherit eternal life. The contrast is absolutely staggering. And it's good for us. Infant unable to help themselves, brought by their parents to receive blessing from the eternal king of kings, king of glory. And this man running up to the same king, thinking there's something that he can bring to make his own position better. It's crazy. Whenever you feel yourself slipping into legalism, go back and reread these two passages back to back. And you'll know that you're slipping into legalism when you start making rules for the world to follow just so that you can be happy. Go back and read these when that happens to you. And it will. So first, notice how he addresses Jesus. He addresses him, he says, good teacher. And honestly, were Jesus' response to this not there, it wouldn't even bother us that he calls Jesus good teacher because we all believe that Jesus is good and he's a teacher and of course he's good teacher. But because of Jesus' response in verse 18, it bothers us a little bit. He gives us a lot of questions. So a little bit of understanding about this exchange as looking at it from the Jewish standpoint the term good in the Jewish culture was almost exclusively reserved for God. The Jewish literature, even the scriptures that we have here before us, we don't see many men called good in them. There's, it is still normal in the scriptures even to talk about a good man in the proverbial sense. You know, if you, especially if you read the Proverbs, you will see some of that. 
We do this today. Even though theologically we know that no one is good in and of themselves, we still say, hey, that's a good guy. And we all know what we mean when we say that. We're not saying that they're inherently good or anything like that. So for this man to run up to Jesus and say, good teacher, is absolutely unprecedented. This this would have been weird for the Jewish ears to hear. A Jewish teacher of the scriptures would have never accepted that term, ever. And we see that from Jesus here. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. But shouldn't Jesus have just said then right after this, well, you're right to say that I'm good because I am the son of God. And that would have been easy. It would have saved us from all the overthinking that we do when we read this passage. But it's good that Jesus answered it like he did. Because it causes us to ask two questions. What does it mean that God is good? And what is Jesus' relationship to God? And we need to answer those questions. The rich young ruler seemed to understand there was a connection between the Father and Jesus. He did. He seemed to make that kind of connection between them. He, he probably seen what Jesus was doing, and he was like, you know, there's something here. He wouldn't have just oddly used those terms, good teacher, for just anyone. And all over the Gospels, in the New Testament letters, we see this plain connection between God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ is God the Son. We see this absolute connection between them. So there's no denying the connection here from this just one verse. So here Jesus is paying honor to the Father, saying, of course, He is good. No one is good but God alone. But He's also drawing upon this word good as He continues to question this man concerning His relationship to the law. He draws upon this same sort of idea. And so, if you consider the rest of the Bible, I don't know about you, but I've had people throw this verse at me and say, well, see here, Jesus is saying he's not good and he's not God. And that's not at all what is happening because all over the rest of Scripture, we see those two truths held up very high. Because in just a moment, Jesus is getting ready to show his authority as the Son of God in the way that he teaches and that brings us to the next point. Jesus shows us our heart. Look with me at verses 19 and 20. So still talking to this rich young ruler. No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he, the rich young ruler, said, Teacher, all of these I have kept from my youth. As we work through the Ten Commandments in the Shorter Catechism, as we continue to, to do that as a part of our worship, we're going to see that these commandments and following each of them is a tall order. Even today, what is required of, of us concerning the First Commandment? That we glorify and worship Him accordingly. Man, there we go. Already struggling with number one. And so for this man to say all of these I have followed since my youth. That's a pretty wild statement there. Now, these commandments that Jesus listed, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, these sorts of things, we like these commandments as well because they're very concrete, right? They are, even when we see this commandment, do not murder, we have this extreme version of it in our mind that we know, hey, I, I haven't done that either. I'm pretty good. We start making this little checkbox and 
we uh, realize, hey, you know what? Maybe I'm not nearly as, as bad as I think that I am. Until we start to look at the real heart issues that are involved here. Jesus, in another place, actually dives into the heart on a few of these commandments. And so turn with me quickly to Matthew chapter 5. As we look here at the Sermon on the Mount, this is where Jesus spends time going through some of them. And I encourage you to look at this in its entirety. But we're just going to look at verses 21 through 26. And so I'm going to read this. And as I'm reading this, think about this sin that we call murder. Jesus says, you have heard it said, or you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. If you are offering your gift at the altar and there remembering that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going to him with court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and judge to the guard and you to be in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. And so we look at this, and we see this, you shall not murder, and we, we might want to check the did not murder box when it comes to that. And I, you know, all of us cannot, I haven't murdered anyone, haven't taken anyone's life, sure, and it might make us feel like we are in a really good position until we read Jesus' words here, and we are informed of two things. We haven't been following the negative aspects of this command or the positive aspects of this command. Negatively, we get angry at others. And in that anger, we have committed the sin of murder. Positively, we don't always work toward restoration like we are told to do here. We kind of like holding a grudge. It keeps us warm at night. And so in that, we have committed the sin of murder also. So let me encourage you, that's just one sin, and that's kind of that's the one that we all like hang on to is I haven't done this. And Jesus says, Yeah, yeah, you have. So let me encourage you. Shorter catechism goes through each of the commandments. If you want a real deep dive with the larger catechism, you will quickly see as you read through that that you know what? I don't follow any of these on any day. Each of these I struggle with. So when this man says, all of these I have kept from my youth, rather than just outright deny him that, which Jesus, of course, could have done, Jesus goes with it. He kind of goes with what the man has said, and he allows him to see his own heart. Look with me then at 21 and 22. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And that's the, that's the point there. Jesus could have just struck him down, but he loved him. And he said to him, You lack one thing, just one thing, that's it. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. So what does Jesus show him? He shows him that ultimately there is this other God that he has allowed into his life 
and it's called wealth. And so what he did really is with all those easy check boxes that he went to, did not murder, did not commit adultery, he whiffed on the first one, you shall have no other gods before me. In a quick move, Jesus shows him his heart without getting into all the ins and outs of anger and lust and greed and all the ways that he's broken all those other ones, and he just shows him face to face his idol. Jesus is calling him here to sell all of his possessions and give to the poor. So the question is, is Jesus calling us to do that? Maybe he's calling you to do that. He's not collectively calling us to do that. The calling here is to examine your heart. You call yourself good? Okay, then. Let's start at commandment one. If commandment one is difficult, or maybe you think... I don't really get this term idolatry. Maybe you're like, I don't have the little idol, you know, sitting in my house or whatever. Then just skip to commandment 10, the one about coveting. I think it can show your heart as clear as the first one does. And sometimes even more because it's so concrete for us. Thou shalt not covet. And we all understand what this idea of coveting is. And you may be thinking, well, no, I'm good on that. I don't want other people's stuff. Well, listen to the catechism summary of what God requires of us in the the 10th commandment. Question 80 says that he, the 10th commandment requires full contentment with our own condition. With a right and charitable frame of spirit toward our neighbor and all that is his. Full contentment with our own condition. Anyone want to run up to Jesus now and say that you followed all of these from your youth? When this man sees his own heart, what does he do? He walks away sad. And really the sad part is that he still thought it was about something that he had to bring to Jesus. And so he completely missed the point altogether. He walked away thinking, well, I can't have eternal life then. The point Jesus was trying to make is one that he'll make to his disciples. Of course you can't have eternal life when you're trying to do it in your own effort. The rich young ruler ran to Jesus to show him something when what Jesus requires of us, he first gives to us. We are really quick to show Jesus what we have to offer. And even quicker still, we want to show how much better we are than others so that we can somehow rise above them. And Jesus deals with that as he addresses his disciples. This, the last point, Jesus shows us the way. Look with me at 23 through 25. So you can, this man is still walking away, sadly, when Jesus addresses his disciples. As you can kind of see this all playing out. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult will it be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So Jesus uses wealth here as the main idea, as the target, because it was the God of this rich young ruler. And money, unlike many things, has this way to bring out the worst in people. We've, we figure this out at a pretty young age, actually. People don't need a whole lot of convincing to be bad. But money is more than capable, more than most mundane things, 
and making it easy for people to do the wrong thing. Jesus talks about money quite a bit. One of the things he says is that the love of money is the root of all evil. If you think about it, it totally makes sense to us, right? That that is the case. That those who love money, and that's their, their sole love, this is the root of all evil. When you look at the political world, you see all the corruption there. Every bit of it has to do with the fact that lots of people have other people's money. And it's being spent however they want. With no real strings attached. Their only authority is themselves. They get to kind of decide what they do with all this money. It's kind of crazy. It's a system that just can't help but be corrupt. And then we think, well, if we could just get different people in there, maybe they would do the right thing. And that's that's not what Jesus is saying here. I love Pastor Vody Bochum says this. He says, we're not seeing terrible things in our culture because we vote the wrong way. We're seeing terrible things in our culture because men love darkness rather than light. That's all Jesus is pointing out here. So while money is bad, yes, it is. The love of money is the root of all evil. Absolutely, that's true. Jesus said it. It's not money really that we're dealing with here. It's people. People are way worse. People can take something innocuous like money. It's just, it's just paper. It's just coins. It's nothing and make it deadly. It's people. So Jesus' teaching here is about the difficulty of a rich man to get to heaven is about money, sure, but more importantly, it's about the hearts of men and women. The disciples follow it up here and they say, well, then if, if that's the case, then, then who can be saved? The disciples weren't rich men. It wasn't like they were counting their money and like, well, well, none of us can be saved then if it has to do with a camel getting through the eye of the needle or maybe they were saying well we then the answer is is that we just need to make ourselves poor again setting up some sort of standard that if i'm just poor then i'll be able to get in it's easy for me to do that then that's not the answer again that's not what he's saying here disciples the disciples knew the hearts of people he knew that they were corrupt that's why they asked who if it's so impossible for anyone to be saved who then is going to be saved and Jesus' answer in verse 27 gives us hope. Jesus looked at them and said, With man, it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. For man to climb his way out of the chasm between him and God is absolutely impossible. It's as possible for man to do that as it is for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle. Sewing is something that happens at my house a lot. It doesn't, I'm not doing the sewing. I, when I think of a needle, I can't even get the thread to fit through there. I couldn't even get a camel's hair to fit through the eye of the needle, much less an entire camel. The imagery here is to show the absolute impossibility of man climbing his way to God using his own merit. And that's just it. If we try to use our own merit, our own goodness, good teacher, what must I do? We'll be stuck at the bottom only believing that we've somehow climbed to the top. We might even look around and see others below us and think, hmm, I'm doing pretty good here. In reality, we're just at the bottom. The truth of the gospel is this, that even while you were at the bottom thinking that you were at the top, that is when Jesus died for you.
even while you were trying to show off your horrible paper as an A-plus work, what Jesus did is he gave you his A-plus work and put it in your place and took on himself the garbage that you turned in. So that when you are presented before God the Father one day, you're going to be seen as an A-plus student because of the work that Jesus Christ did. And here's the whole point. You didn't even get any of the questions right. You didn't even put your name on the paper. You're one of those people. When Jesus talks about the goodness of God, he demonstrates his goodness in this. That he raised us up from the dead, seated us with him in heavenly places with Christ Jesus our Lord. So that in the coming ages, he might show us his immeasurable riches of his grace and goodness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. So that when I, so that when we say, I believe, we aren't just receiving the righteousness of Christ as, and the eternal blessing that comes along with it. Absolutely, that's what's taking place. But we are receiving blessings right now as a result of that. The immeasurable riches of His grace and goodness toward us happens now. And that's why Peter asked this question. Verse 28, Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything to follow you. And Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brother, sisters, mother, father, children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive 100 fold now in this time. Now in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers, children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. That's pretty incredible. The reward that we have isn't just a future thing, brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a right now thing. The blessings that we have aren't just things that we're waiting for. They are things that we're waiting for and we can't wait. But they're right now blessings. In Christ, we know this. We're quick to forget, but we know the blessings of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Not material blessings. I'm not talking about like mysterious paychecks in your mailbox or anything stupid like that. I'm talking about the the blessings of growing in faith and wisdom in Christ. The blessings of seeing a family grow in faith and wisdom, in the trust of Jesus Christ, seeing your friends grow and be blessed, being a part of a great group of people like this, being part of His people, growing together in grace, walking together in difficult times and in good times. That is a blessing that we experience in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a small picture of what we're going to have one day in Him. So the questions for us is this. What are we then, since we have all these blessings... Since we have all this goodness stored up even right now, what are we willing to risk? What are we willing to give up for the kingdom? Peter says, we have left everything to follow you. 
We aren't being called to sell everything to the poor and follow him or leave everything, as Peter has said here, at least in the most immediate sense. But when it comes to the kingdom of God, to the ministry of God, to the ministry of others, let me ask you this. What do you place above that? Your possessions? Your time? Your comfort? Your privacy? Ministry can be messy. It involves inviting people into your lives. Being with people. It involves giving more of yourself than just showing up to church. And anytime the church is open, you show up. It involves much more than that. When people say to me, I want to see the church doing this kind of thing, I always say then, well, then how are you doing that kind of thing in your own life? It's easy to let someone do something for you and just kind of tag along, you know, just to kind of stick your feet in the water and take them out whenever you want. You know, I got my feet wet that one time. But it's harder to jump in. Commit everything that you have, your money, your possessions, your time, your comfort, everything that you have. And that's a challenge for us, isn't it? And so in conclusion, the challenge is twofold for us today as Christians. First, believe the gospel. We don't always believe the gospel. We struggle with that. We want to believe that it's somehow me that's making me better. Nothing. We bring nothing of value to the table. I'm getting ready to tell you that again when we go to this table that's set before us. The gospel is a gift from the Lord and all the merit that he requires of us, this he gives you. Believe that for yourself. Jesus measured up for you and we can rest. And second, how does that change then the way that we do ministry? Since you don't have to work to save yourself, hallelujah, What are you doing for others when it comes to the kingdom of God? Church, brothers and sisters in Christ, do the work of ministry, even if it costs you everything. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to you, even in knowing the truth, we oftentimes run up to you eager to tell you how good we are. Lord, we're we're so thankful that you are gentle with us and you are merciful with us and that you love us. So, Lord, we pray that you teach us the gospel more and more, that we might believe it ourselves more and more, that we would turn to you and turn from the other gods that we hold so dear. And second, we pray that you would help us to do the work of ministry that we would want others to have this so much that we'd be willing to risk the things that we have so that they might know you. And we pray this in your name. Amen.